just past 7 o'clock. We love Monday nights. It's time for Ira on Sports. 95.9 True Oldies Channel. Mike Balsamo here as well. And Ira, you finally got to relax a little bit, man. You've been going crazy the past month or so, but this was a quiet week by Ira's Ira standards. Not quiet. I had all my games up. I was watching <laughs> all the games. Week. Not traveling, but I just love, I've been sitting there. I have the NFL Direct Ticket now streaming. I have other, I have two computers running plus the TV. So it was great to watch all the NFL games this week. I think a lot of us um, don't realize what it's like with what, you know, the effort you put into going to all these games. You had said to me off air, like, it was rare for you to be able to sit down on a Sunday and just watch every game like most of us normally do. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. It was good. And I got, <laughs> but I got to see the Steelers get blown out and uh, and also see the Cowboys win by 100 points last night. So We got plenty to talk about. We've also got a, something we've never really done before. We've got three different gentlemen coming by. First up is going to be Rodney Orr of Tider Insider, then Mark Weezer of the uh, Athens Banner Herald, and then Keith Jenkins uh, writes about the Cincinnati Bearcats for the Cincinnati Inquirer. All of these guys know more about these teams than anybody on the planet except for maybe the coaches. So a lot of people give you the national spin. And they All they do is, you know, read what they read in the paper. These guys are with the team every day. You're going to love when we catch up with these guys and get you ready for the uh, college football playoffs here. Um, Ira, let's talk about it first and foremost. Your Steelers, that just... That was a rough game, Ira, and I get you're probably a little bit happy you didn't go to this one. Kansas City just rolled over the Steelers, thirty-six to ten. Well, Patrick Mahomes is now twenty-one and zero in November and December. He's won twenty-six straight if you include January. Um, they became the first team. The Steelers have now become the first team in NFL history to trail by at least twenty-three points at halftime in three straight road games, and this is the first time they failed to score a touchdown in the first half of five games. Since 1940, which Great. was a long time ago, they lose 36 to 10. And can I say the score was closer than than the game yeah. seemed like? Because <laughs> it, it didn't was seem just, like 26 points. It was. Just, I mean, it was. It was the Chiefs could just do whatever. It was practice for them. It was almost like the Steelers' defense did not exist, and the Steelers' offense didn't exist. Um, against the Steelers, went on fourth down one time. That one fourth down play, they ran with Najee Harris. They like pitched it to him, and I think there were 15 Chiefs players on the field <laughs> that tackled Najee Harris. And there's a scene. And Matt Cannon, the offensive coordinator, like throwing his hands up, like, "What did you? Did they know the play? Like, how in the world the <laughs> entire team was there tackling Najee Harris? Um, it was just it, it, the Chiefs scored on the first four times they had the ball. Uh, Mahomes in the first half was 19 for 25 for 200 yards, um, and it, it was just it was horrendous. And then the second half, when the Steelers, an example, DeAndre Johnson gets the ball, he's in the open running with the ball, and people are saying, "Oh, he should have been on the on the Pro Bowl team," and he just fumbles the ball, just drops the ball, running the ball. <laughs> no one touches him, no one ever. Um, and then Mahomes, I think the one thing we're talking about is Pringle, Brian Pringle. There was no t uh, Travis Kelsey, but Pringle played really, really well, mm -hmm. uh, undrafted free agent for the Chiefs, so maybe he's going to emerge as that other uh, uh, weapon. You know, Tyree Kill only had two catches for 19 yards, but you know, people were telling, and also you got um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire got injured with his collarbone, but Williams ran well, Derek Gore, Frank Gore's son, which is interesting, mm -hmm. ran well. Um, but it was just a complete disaster. I mean, at the end of the game, they kept Ben in, and it was uh, what it was a thirty-one to thirty to thirty-three to three, and then they ran a fake reverse, and and Ben fumbled the ball, and that's what scored and made it thirty-three. It was just a disaster from all. I mean, everything, offense and defense for the Steelers. No, I agree. There's really nothing you can look back to in this game and say, oh, we we looked pretty good there because. There was really nothing. I do think Deontay Johnson should have been a Pro Bowler. I'd have put him in over Diggs, uh, maybe over Keenan Allen, too. Uh, he had a really good season despite some of these these gaffes that he's been known for. But, yeah, that was the alarming thing to me. I, I knew the offense was going to struggle. Kansas City's defense has been good lately. 
your defense was just bad, though. And without Kelsey, it's a, it's a different format, I guess. But, you know, Derek Gore, Mecole Hardman, Daryl Williams, and Byron Pringle leading the charge. These are all guys that we don't nobody talks about. And they look like pro bowlers against the, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh defenses. And when you watch that game, and I know they had a tough game against the Chargers the week before, but just Chiefs are now looking like the best team. I mean, they look better than Tennessee. They look better than Buffalo. They look better than, they look like the AFC team that's going to be in the Super Bowl. I just, there's not, and plus they have Mahomes and he's not making the stupid plays and the fumbles and he seems to re, re looking at his progressions and, and, and not going for the super long pass, but making the smart decisions. It just seems like they've got everything back on track. Remember, they started out uh, with like four losses at the beginning of the year. And now they just keep winning, winning, winning. So I really think that the Chiefs, that this game showed to me that the Chiefs are the best team in the AFC. I, I would agree with you on that. I run Sports True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Let's get into some of these other games. A couple of division matchup games, and a lot of them got ugly quick. This one was kind of ugly the whole way through, but it was a close one. Denver and Vegas, and this looks like what you expect when you see an AFC West matchup. Denver was absolutely horrendous. Well, they, they both came in with 7-7 records, so really this was almost an elimination-type game. Vegas ended winning 17-13. Bridge, Teddy Bridgewater was out for Denver. Drew Locke was the quarterback, but Denver's offense, it eight first downs the entire game. They're one for 10 on three-point conversions, only 18 yards rushing. And I think Vegas, I mean, this is one thing where they were— the Derek Carr at the end of the first half, and Stafford did the same thing, where you just cannot turn the ball over and have a pick six with like a minute to go in the first half. Other than that, Vegas would have easily won this game. But uh, then they started running. Josh Jacobs actually had one of his best games of the year running the ball. But uh, I don't think anyone considered Denver a threat in the playoffs. But no. this sort of like eliminated them, and now it kept uh, Vegas's hopes alive. Yeah, one thing that you know they've been a, a two-headed monster at running back. Javante Williams seven carries for twelve yards. Melvin Gordon seven carries for minus four yards. Where did that Vegas defense come from? I don't know. Um, this game, next game was great. AFC East matchup, and this has a lot of implications. It was Buffalo and New England. We knew that Josh Allen and Buffalo were going to come out blazing after that awful loss in the 50-degree uh, wins a couple of weeks ago, and they did. They looked like a solid team once again. Yeah, I mean, this was, they lost 14-10 uh, when the winds were 50, 50 miles an hour, but they won 33-21. Um, now the Bills are the first team to win in New England back-to-back -back years since Manning's Colts in 05 and 06. Josh Allen, 30 for 47, 314 yards. Key, no interceptions, no sacks. He threw for three touchdowns, and he ran 12 times for 64 yards. He was missing Beasley and Davis, two of their uh, good wide receivers, but Isaiah McKenzie came up, played great. Mac Jones had another bad game. That's yeah. his two weeks back-to-back -back where he threw two interceptions. Um, it was just not one. It was one of those situations where I think I was surprised that even – uh, New England was able to hang in there. I mean, Damian Harris had some nice runs for touchdowns and other runs, but that the key of this drive was the end of the game. With seven minutes left in the fourth, Allen, they were at 26-21. He made a great pass on third and 10 to McKenzie. Then on fourth and one, on the 34, he ran a naked blue bootleg around, got the first down, and then on third and 10, he did a shuffle pass to Diggs, and then he did a shuffle pass to Dawson. Uh, Allen looked like Mahone's out there. I mean, doing everything smart. They certainly were recovered from, their, from the loss of revenge game. I guess the story of the game also... Now now, now to understand what this is, is Buffalo is 9-6, New England's 9-6, but Buffalo control, Buffalo has the uh, tiebreaker mm -hmm. advantage over New England, so Buffalo would, would win the division if they win their last two games. And the funny thing was they asked Belichick about his New Year's resolutions, one of the reporters <laughs> did, and it has to be, if you go on and Google that question, it was unbelievable. After just losing this game and someone says, forget about the game, <laughs> do you have any New Year's resolutions? 
<laughs> and Belichick, of course, said, no, I don't have no resolutions. <laughs> One thing that stands out to me in this game is where are all the people that two weeks ago were saying New England was the best team in the AFC? I know they can run the ball and play defense, but now you're seeing a rookie quarterback do what we expect rookie quarterbacks to do in clutch games. Did you people really think they were going to run the table in the playoffs? I, I, I didn't see it. Even when they beat Buffalo, I still thought Buffalo was a better team. And here we go. Have you seen that Cole Beasley's got over $100,000 in fines so far yeah. <laughs> from COVID protocols? Not good. Uh, speaking of not good, what yesterday the Chargers' performance was just something crazy that I nobody was expecting. I mean, everyone left in fantasy. There was people were rushing to the waiver wire to add the Chargers' defense against the Texans, and that blew up in everyone's face. And the Chargers didn't look good. Well, I mean, they were coming to this game at eight and six. They went at nine and six. I mean, this was the biggest game of the day, really, because it opened up the wild card to six other teams. Because in, with Indianapolis yeah. winning, and now New England and Buffalo, how that switched to be nine and six. All those teams that have seven wins, like the Steelers, they would have been out if this would have happened. The fact that the Chargers over the Texans, ten point favorite, everything like that. This is one of the worst losses you could possibly get have. How did they go in? And, and they were both the Texans were missing. I want to hear all the charges were missing players. Yeah. Texans didn't have almost Texans are bad. And whatever players they had, they missed half for have missing half their team. And then Davis Mills, the quarterback for the Texans, when he outplays Herbert, Davis Mills, 21 for 27, two touchdowns, 250 yards. He had a 77 quarterback rating. And Herbert played on you know, 300 yards, but two bad, two bad interceptions. But the Charger defense, they let Rex Burkhead. This is Rex Burkhead. Everyone, that it's the Rex Burkhead, 150 yards and two touchdowns. Rex Burkhead's played in the league. It's he's played forever. <laughs> I, this is the most he's ever rushed for, and he's like 100 years old. I, just terrible performance. I mean, this is one of the Chargers were not ready. Brandon Staley, their coach, terrible job. And now they had the playoffs. They they were competing. People thought they were going to beat. If they won last week, they were going to win the division from the Chiefs. Yep. Now they've given the, the division to Chiefs. Now they may not even be in the playoffs. One game with a ton of implications, Ira, came from your AFC North and Cincinnati and Joe Burrow. <laughs> they laid the beat down on Baltimore. I know Baltimore is another team ravaged by COVID, but this game was a, a telling sign for what the Bengals can do. Well, the Bengals won against the team. Now the Baltimore is just completely reeling. They had no Lamar Jackson. They have no Tyron Huntley. They had Josh Johnson, the third string quarterback. Um, played pretty good. And he played, he played <laughs> well, but Joe Burrow, 37 for 46 525 yards and four touchdowns. I mean, T. Higgins was catching everything. 12 catches, 194 yards. Chase, seven catches, 125 yards. Just to give the ages of this, Burrow is only 25, Higgins is 22, and Chase is 21, and Joe Mixon, Nixon, Mixon, the running back, uh, six carries, seven timer. yards. He's 25. <laughs> I mean, this this team is set to go. I mean, the Bengals, this is this was a statement game to everyone. They beat the Steelers twice this year. They they now beat the Ravens in this they game. They beat the Browns once. They beat the Browns. This is the, this is the Bengals saying, this is the AFC North is our division for the next five years. Like we're going to be the Patriots. We have the quarterback, we have the wide receivers, the running backs, and our defense has improved. But that was this game was as much of a blowout as the Steeler game was. You know, we talked to Vincent Gray last week, and he was great. And he gave us the insight of a college uh, player. Joe Burrow's not far removed from college, Ira. And it was interesting. After the game, they were like, you know, did you know you were going to break the Cincinnati Bengals record? Oh, yeah, we knew. We were trying. And they kept, <laughs> they kept throwing in the fourth quarter up to try to get him over 500 yards. And they did. I thought that was kind of cool. And Boomer was the one. It. Boomer Esiason was the one with the record. And he said, he goes, I knew. He goes, oh, it's lasted for about 30, 45 yeah. years. So. My whole life. <laughs> yeah, <it's all> right. <laughs> um, let's go back to Thursday night. And this was a huge game with a lot of implications for the playoffs. Arizona had been reeling, Ira. They haven't played well in the second half of seasons, and that continued. Indianapolis looked pretty good, 22-16. to 16. Again, I mean, you the Cardinals are in. Arizona Cardinals are in a tight game. They're playing the Colts. The Colts were missing 
three offensive linemen. Then they got two more hurt. They were playing with maybe second and third string offensive linemen. But sort Jonathan Taylor still ran the ball well with 108 yards. But the story of the game was Carson Wentz making plays, making smart plays, no turnovers for Wentz, just a perfect game. And what did what did the Cardinals do? Miss two field goals, miss an extra point. That's why you lose 22 to 16. It yeah. was it was it was a game. It was it was a terrible. They had a chance to. Uh, they had a chance to take the lead in the fourth quarter. They missed a field goal, another field goal. But the Cardinals have been sloppy. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury, I mean, this is now two years in a row where they've had, they start out 8-0, and these great records, and then it all starts to fall apart for them. Yeah, from the number one seed to now, you know, they got to fight to still stay in the playoffs. They are in the playoffs, but yes, they, are. they could be like the seventh seed if they mm-hmm. keep it. Um, let's talk about Tampa and Carolina. Not much to talk to about here, Ira. T- uh, Tampa Bay did what they had to do. Carolina's like a dumpster fire at this point. I would have, I should have bet this game to no end about Antonio Brown because everyone <laughs> knows without without Chris Godwin, without Mike Evans, without Leonard Fournette and Brady's relationship with Antonio Brown, that even though Antonio Brown hasn't played since week six, which is like months ago, that it was gonna he was going to have an, a monster game, which he did. Ten catches, 110 yards, and catching passes all over the place. Yeah. And it was just perfect. And, you, and Antonio Brown looked like the Antonio Brown of the Steelers. Brady throws it to him. And going forward, you're going to see Antonio Brown have these monster, like maybe 200 yards games, but uh, it was like the Carolina's terrible. Keyshawn Vaughn had a 55-yard touchdown run, and it almost looked like it was, I mean, they just let him run. I mean, they just, the, the Carolina didn't want to tackle him, because they stopped him, like, on the five-yard line, and he just stood there, and they said, oh, like, just score, feel free. Um, and then you're seeing, it was neat. They started to use Gronkowski and Cameron Brake. It reminded me of Aaron when they used Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski back with the Patriots. Remember, the Patriots didn't have a lot of wide receivers. They used Aaron Hernandez mm-hmm. and Gronkowski as these two-star wide res- two, two tight ends in terms of using them on pick plays to go forward. But big win for for uh, and then if you're Tampa. You, you can rest your players because you know you have the Jets next week and then you have Carolina the following week again. So you've got two easy wins. Yeah, good way to close out the season for them. Uh, we got about just a minute till we have to get to Rodney Orr from the Tider Insider. What, what else you want to discuss here before we talk about the playoff picture? Um, more like Cleveland at Green Bay. I felt that that was the game that was Baker threw three interceptions, four, actually four interceptions, three in the first half. Um, but I think the weird thing about this game was that as much as it, the, the Green Bay barely won the game by by a couple of points, and this is a game that that the, the Browns threw four interceptions for. Yeah. I just it was like you're wondering, you're like Green Bay keeps winning. They're the number one team in the NFC. They have the they're gonna have home field advantage. But again, you would expect them when you're in the fourth quarter and Mayfield threw four interceptions that the game would have been over by then. Uh, Tennessee beat San Francisco, and this was one. This was an important game too for both teams. Um, it was important, and I'll tell you what, Jimmy Garoppolo. The interception, he missed Kyle Jusic. They were up 10 nothing. This score could have been 24 to 28 nothing. They blew a ch- they chance to, to take this game. Uh, the interceptions, the bad passes, and uh, just a Jimmy, this was the game that Jimmy G cost them the game. Tennessee ended up winning the game, but San Francisco, bad, bad loss for them. Um, tonight, Miami Dolphins in New Orleans. This line's moved six points um, because of. New Orleans having no quarterback, basically. They're going to rookie Ian Book. They've lost Simeon and lost uh, Taysom Hill. Dolphins are now the favorites on the road. I think the Dolphins should crush them in this game, but what do you think? Oh, they will, because if you watch how New Orleans did against uh, against uh, Tampa last yeah. week, I mean, they have no offense whatsoever, and and, and now that was Taysom Hill. They have Ian Book at the quarterback from the Notre Dame quarterback, but then they called Phillip Rivers. They yeah. called Drew Brees. <laughs> I don't know if they called Terry Bradshaw. I mean, who knows? I, mean, I don't know who you, Your phone didn't Dan, Dan Marino? I mean, they're going to call every... I mean, this is... They call, they call all these Hall of Fame quarterbacks to play. They're now talking about Alvin Kamara being their quarterback for the game, and so it's 
it's and they're also Saints are missing the defensive captain Demaro Davis. They're COVID's ravaged the team. Look, Miami, this is they have got one of the greatest draws in terms of these games, but they're winning. Unlike the Chargers, who are losing against teams they should win, Miami is beating those teams. Looking for a big win tonight from Miami. Yeah, and we'll be rooting for them. Uh, sum up the playoff picture here, real quick. Well, in the NFC, Dallas with a big win against Washington. They're eleven four. They have Arizona, the Eagles. Uh, Green Bay, it's 12-3. and three. They're going to win the North, and they look like if they win one of their two games that they're going to have this. Uh, they are, they are, they're in, they have played Vikings and the Lions, so I think they might probably going to have the number one seed. Tampa has the Jets and Carolina. They're going to win the South, and the West is the Rams. Uh, they have the Ravens and the 49ers. But the teams that are fighting for the wild cards, Arizona's already in. Is San Francisco 8-7? Philly at eight and seven. The Saints tonight will be seven and eight after they lose. Minnesota seven and eight, and Atlanta seven and eight. I think San Francisco. They have Houston and they have the Rams. Philly has Washington and Dallas, and Dallas might not play in that game. Yep. So you're looking, I think, at San Francisco or Philly getting in. Maybe Minnesota. I love Minnesota, but they just they're, they're lost to the Rams. I couldn't believe Stafford had three interceptions and lose that game. But uh, I feel in that case it'll be probably San Francisco and Philly or San Francisco and Minnesota. And in the AFC. And look, anybody's in. Kansas City's 11-4. Tennessee's 10-5. and Cincinnati's uh, 9-6. and six. Buffalo's 9-6. But you have Baltimore, the Chargers, the Raiders, the Steelers, Miami, Cleveland, Denver, all in the mix with two games to go. Um, and it's really like who you're, the teams that, that they're playing that you have to look at. You know, who is an easy game? The Chargers still have Denver and Vegas. They still have a chance to probably get that playoff seed. But uh, uh, it, it is one of those things where it's still wide, totally wide open. Remember, only the winner gets the first round by and home field throughout the playoffs. It's going to be really important. Getting that is a huge leg up on the rest and of right the And right now we look at Green Bay and Kansas City yeah. uh, with the lead in those things. Let's go to Rodney Orr here on Iron Sports. This is Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9. We're honored again to have Rodney Orr of Tider Insider on. Thanks a lot, Rodney, for coming on Iron Sports. Hey, I appreciate you having me. So we're getting excited about the College Bowl playoffs on Friday, uh, Friday night, New Year's Eve, uh, the between Alabama and Cincinnati. So that's a, a little different entrance into the playoffs. But Rodney, you're an expert on the Alabama Crimson Tide. This year must have been just a, a super exciting year. And let's talk about Bryce Young a little bit. Heisman Trophy winner, uh, that great game against Auburn. Just an amazing performance from Bryce. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, how far has Alabama come now? Uh, they used to win games with game manager quarterbacks, as you remember, Ira. And now all of a sudden they've got a string that really started with Tua. Uh, Tua, Mack, and, and, and now Bryce. Uh, it's just been a phenomenal run of quarterbacks. And what Bryce has done with basically coming into this season with very, very little experience has been phenomenal. He's, he's had to learn a lot on, on the run, so to speak. And guess what? I would think about all the players that from last year, the supporting cast, Najee Harris, uh, Landon Dickerson, Alex Leatherwood, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, all those guys are gone. And, you know, Bryce has had to do it with a bunch of new players. It's just phenomenal what he's done. Uh, and, and you know what? I'll say this on top of that is the way Bryce handles himself, he's such a humble kid. Uh, you know, he doesn't get caught up in, in all of the hoopla. And I think that's perhaps the, uh, the most amazing thing. 
And that last drive he had against Auburn, converting the fourth downs, making play after play, when the whole season was on the line. I mean, we would not be talking about Alabama in the college football playoffs, even if the, you know with the two losses. And just to make it just seem like that game was lost, and to be able to have that. I mean, that was, he got the ball what on the one yard line and drove. The, I mean, that, it's you dream about things like that. Mm. Well, you know, covering this. Uh this series and, and following it for most of my life and I've been watching this series probably for 50 years uh, you know or more um, it, it, it's, it's called the Iron Bowl and amazing things happen in this game we've seen some incredible endings uh, that was one of the greatest of all time and you know Ira as I was watching there the minute 35 left Bama gets the ball back no timeouts at the three yard line and Bryce's first two passes fluttered nowhere near a receiver uh, because of the pressure. I was thinking, you know, this is against all odds, but this is the Iron Bowl and anything can happen. <laughs> and on third down, he scrambled away and made a great throw down the middle to John Mechie. And then boom, 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 he hit three or four consecutive throws. Uh, you know, put Alabama in position and then hit Ja'Cory Brooks, another uh, South Florida kid. Uh, for the win, uh, for to tie the game to send it into overtime. So yeah, it was an amazing drive. It's one that they they, they continue to talk about uh, right now today. You know, in the I was at the SEC championship game down in in Atlanta, and I at ten nothing, I felt like oh, it was done. Like I thought that there's no way that Georgia, I go just give them the national championship. Why even have the playoffs? And then I, I the pass that he had to Jamison Williams, then the passes to Matchy, just this. It, it's like Bryce Young again showed resilience in a game that it seemed like. I mean, was the first quarter was so frustrated, but able to turn that game around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing about Bryce. I mean, I think he and Saban are like the perfect pair because I, I don't think those two uh, – I think they're kind of the way they see things you know, in a game is obviously much different than, than a lot of people um, because adversity – They Saban goes into games expecting adversity, you know, and that's really what he drills into his players is there is going to be adversity. So it's not going to be smooth. And I, I think you know, a, a, the primary reason he does that, one of the primary reasons, number one, he knows it's going to happen. But number two is he wants them to have the right mindset, that when adversity comes, we have to respond the right way. And, you know, in that game against Georgia, falling down 10 to nothing, a lot of people said, well, here, here comes the route. Uh, but, you know, uh, and Bryce was missing some throws. But they just made a few adjustments. He hits that big third down two throw, third and two throw, as you mentioned, across the middle to uh, Jamison Williams. And, and all of a sudden, on that one play, I think everything turned because Georgia finally was challenged. And uh, it kind of as a side note heading into that game, Ira, that was the one thing. I got criticized a lot, even on my own website, <laughs> uh, by a lot of Alabama fans by saying Alabama can win this game. And, you know, they, they were just uh, – they saw nothing that suggested that could happen. But the fact was, Georgia had not been challenged by a Bryce Young and a Jamison Williams and a John Mechie and, and the other players that Alabama had offensively. So that defense, give it its due, but it had not been challenged by these kind of skill players. And we saw what happened. I think even Georgia started reeling a little. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what the, it was almost they panicked. I mean, you saw a little bad in the Tennessee game when Hooker, the quarterback for Tennessee, sure. near the end of the game, and people said, oh, well, it was just a blowout. It doesn't matter. But you saw that maybe the back end of their secondary had some weaknesses. But where does Alabama go? I mean, the loss to John Meachie, he was so good this year for them. And I just don't, will the other wide receivers, the Slade Boldens, be able to step up and replace his production? Well, you know, you lose Mechie. You lose a really physical player uh, that's a kind of brings a ton of leadership. Uh, you know, Mechie always makes these clutch catches too. Uh, but Slade Bolden has stepped up, made a tremendous uh, clutch catch there late in the SEC championship game down the middle when Alabama needed to keep the drive alive to run clock. Uh, so Bolden has is, is kind of come up big as a possession receiver. But Ja'Cory Brooks gained a tremendous amount of confidence. You know, he's gained a little bit of experience throughout the end of the year. He didn't play that much except special teams until late in the year and then made the, the catches, two catches in that winning drive against Auburn, of course, the big one. And, you know, that, that can sometimes uh, prepare a player for bigger things, as you know, the confidence and the experience. So I think Ja'Cory Brooks, Treshawn Holden is another kid originally from down there in Florida, Kissimmee, um, who has really kind of had some experience this year and shown some flashes. Uh, Both he and Brooks are kind of bigger guys. You know, I mean, they're 6'2", 6'2 plus. Treshawn may be 6'3". But, um, you know, they bring Alabama a good physical presence as receivers. Uh, JoJo Earl is expected back. Um, he's a real dynamo slot receiver who's been out the last two or three games with an injury. So, you know, I, I think, too, uh, watch out for hopefully Jaleel Billingsley, the H-back who has so much talent, has not really had a, a great year, and it's more kind of between the years, to be honest, uh, this year. But if, if Jaleel can get things together, he could be a really valuable weapon in Cameron Latou at tight end as well. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned all these. They're all five-star or four- or five-star recruits. So it's not like when they yeah. lose in one five-star, they have other four-stars. I mean, look at the NFL. It's just full of Alabama wide receivers. And the defense this year has been criticized. Uh, some games, they, they just seem to not be able to stop anybody. It, it was not the traditional yeah. Alabama defense. But when the Heisman Trophy vote came out, Will Anderson was, I think, what, fifth or sixth. And people say, wow, well, a defensive Alabama player. The year that Will had is just, uh, he was sort of the anchor for that defense and, and to be able to keep Bama in those games. Well, think about this. Uh, in 2020, uh, Alabama had three of the top five Heisman get, uh, vote getters. Of course, obviously, Devontae won it. This year, they had two of the top five. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> yes. That's five of the, you know, you know what I'm saying? Five so of the top, five of the last not, ten. Five of the last ten, yeah. Yeah, five of the last ten. It's amazing. So it's next man up. That's kind of the philosophy here. Saban preaches it, and he expects them to be ready. Uh, when your opportunity comes and, uh, you know, he drills them for that opportunity uh, throughout the season. So I think think that's it. But with Will Anderson, with this defense, uh, you know, Will's been the leader. But but not only – he had over 30 tackles for losses. I I don't think – I think it's been at least a decade since a player has had 30-plus tackles for losses. So he had a great year, obviously, but – He's also kind of that heart and soul, like Bryce is for the offense. Um, you know, Will's kind of that guy, that vocal guy, even though he's only a sophomore. He's kind of the guy that sets the tone for the other players and says, hey, guys, this is what we're going to do. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to get this thing straight. We're going to focus. We're going to do this. This is what he does that, that is so valuable, I think, for the defense. And they've played better. The defense has played, you know, obviously played a lot better um, 
you know, didn't play well, didn't play poorly against Auburn actually, even though Auburn's not a juggernaut, but uh, offensively. But yeah, they they played a little better, sure. And then going into the Cincinnati game, I mean, some teams. Uh, would probably be when you're a 13 point favorite, would be overlooking. I just cannot see. I mean, Saban's record against uh, non ranked teams, unranked teams th- uh, over his career has been tremendous, one of the greatest of all time. So I cannot believe that Alabama will overlook Cincinnati at all. Well, I, I guarantee you, Nick Saban's preaching that. Uh, you know, they always, he always rep- talks about respecting your opponent no matter who it is. Because he wants that. Once again, it's a mindset, Ira. You know, you want everything to be a mindset. You want that to be your approach. And so he instills that, you know, nameless, faceless opponent, all of those things. And, yeah, they certainly respect Cincinnati because Cincinnati has a really good team. I mean, they're undefeated, um, you know, and and they're going to certainly be prepared. Luke Fickle has done a tremendous job. And, you know, they're starting running back. Uh, Jerome Ford's a fantastic talent once again. A South Florida kid <laughs> that originally originally signed with Alabama he actually started. If you remember the 2019 season opener against Duke in Atlanta, Jerome Ford was the starting running back ahead of Najee Harris and, and uh, Brian Robinson due to some, a couple of suspensions for a half. But he's a real talent. Um, so um, you know, it's 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 a certainly I think again mindset. Let's be focused on Cincinnati, and, and I, I hope that this team has learned some lessons throughout the season Ira, when they haven't been focused, uh, the things that can happen that aren't positive. I mean, Desmond Ritter, this, the Bearcat quarterback, I mean, he just seems to yep. make smart play after smart play. Like, they're going against, and the one thing about Cincinnati, they are a senior-dominated team. I mean, this is not, they are. They have been around together. They've been through the wars over the last sure. three years. This is a, this is a team that that if they get if Bama gets into a fight, they're 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 gonna they're gonna give it sure. a great shot with their experience. Oh, there's there's look. This is a real challenge. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, I, I don't think that most people are taking it lightly. Um, you're you're right. I mean, last year they even though Georgia was depleted in that bowl game that they played against with Cincinnati, Cincinnati should have won the game. I think they feel like Cincinnati feels like they let the thing slip away at the end when they should have won it. So, yeah, they're going to come in with a lot of confidence. They're going to be enthused. They're going to be enthusiastic. They're going to have a lot of energy. And guess what? They're probably going to have some early success in this game, and they'll try to feed off of that. And I think that's the thing that Alabama has to do. Nick Saban talks about we have to change their minds. And he's not talking about Cincinnati. I mean, he said it through the years. Is you know, When we go into these games, we're going to have to change their minds because these teams are coming in. They're coming in with a lot of energy, a lot of passion to try to uh, you know, get, get off on a good, good foot and all this. But we're going to have to change their minds. And I think that's really, in this game, Alabama's going to have to do a good job of changing Cincinnati's mind. Well, Rodney, we've had you on a couple times before. I really appreciate it. Uh, tell people how to reach you and how to find out about the Tider Insider, which if you're interested in Alabama football, is probably the best source of information. Well, TiderInsider.com, it's only $48 a year, and it's, uh, you can get instant access. If you're an Alabama fan, uh, to all our premium information, our all-sports forum, which is part of our premium package, it's uh, a community of Alabama fans and 
probably the largest community on the internet, and it's certainly the most vocal. I can assure you of that. But uh, just a lot of information. Anything that happens in college football, college basketball, whatever it is, as it relates to you know college sports, it appears right there on TiderInsider.com. So again, it's only forty eight dollars a year. So that's great. Well, Roddy, I really appreciate you coming on and talking to, uh, on Iron Sports and talking about the Alabama Crimson Tide. Thanks a lot for coming on today. Ira, I appreciate it. You have a Merry Christmas and uh, same to all your listeners. Thank you so much. Ira Rodney, always a, a great guest there from Tider Insider. And it was interesting his take on the difference between Bryce Young and some of these other extremely prolific quarterbacks they put out in the last half a decade. Yeah, I mean, I love I loved his comment when he made a, a statement that Bryce Young and Nick Saban both go into the game expecting adversity, expecting things to go wrong. So he's able to overcome that in those games, the Auburn game and the Georgia game, when Auburn game where they're down and Georgia when they were down 10-0. So it's, it's exciting to have uh, an insight like that about Bryce Young and Nick Saban. Let's bring in uh, Keith Jenkins of the Cincinnati Inquirer. This is Iron Sports, 95.9, 106.9, West Palm Beach. We're honored to have the Cincinnati Inquirer uh, writer who covers Cincinnati Bearcats football, Keith Jenkins. Keith, thanks so much for coming on Iron Sports. My pleasure, Ira. Thanks for having me. Wow, it's pretty exciting. I mean, for years we've been saying a non-Power 5 school would be able to get into the BCI, the playoff uh, structure, but this is the year that Cincinnati got in. So it's exciting for you, for someone who's covered the Bearcats for a while, to see the program emerge and now be at the stage where you're playing Alabama for the chance to play for the title. No, it's, it's very exciting. It's exciting for the city, for the university, for the fan base. Um, it's really crazy. I mean, it's really hard to, it's my job to put it in words, right? But it's hard to do that. I mean, I'm, I'm a Cincinnati native. My dad played there. I was supposed to play there for Rick Minner. He gets fired. I wound up playing at Toledo, but I, I got my degree from Cincinnati. And, but just being from that community, things like this don't happen there. Um, so what Luke Fickle and his staff have been able to do in really such a short period of time, he took over the program in late uh, 2016. Um, it, it's been remarkable in, in the players that he's been able to get and in the development that they've been able to do there. So um, this has been a long process and in, in, in the making of them trying to get to this point and ultimately getting here. But it's definitely exciting to see this happen. And also to come from the American Conference. I mean, when all the conferences were shifting about a decade ago, people thought, well, maybe Cincinnati could get into the Big 12. Now they're getting into the Big 12 now. Or maybe the ACC or something. But it's sort of like Cincinnati and all these other schools in the American were sort of the ones that were left out of being able to move into the conferences. So it's great to finally, you know, to show that they went to the American, dominated the American, and now are playing in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, that that was the plan. Obviously, they were kind of, you know, got the shorthand of the stick from their perspective of ending up in this conference. And, and now they're going to make their way into the Big 12 here in a little bit. Um, but I think the good thing about Luke Fickle and his staff is they never looked at themselves as a group of five team. They don't use that terminology. They don't They don't use power five, group of five. Um, they don't recruit that way. They do their very best. Um, to move and act as if they're just, you know, a great program. Luke Fickle having that Ohio State lineage and that tradition behind him, um, he's trying to run this program like one of the power institutions, and I think it's paid off for them. You know, they, they don't use those terminologies, um, and I think it's helped them when they go toe-to-toe against Georgia in the Peach Bowl last year and nearly beat that game, uh, win that game. And, and then, you know, they face teams like Indiana and Notre Dame and others and have had success against Power 5 opponents. And now they have an opportunity to show their worth against maybe the ultimate 
Power Five opponent in Alabama. So, yeah, I think, you know, what's worked for them is that it's not group of five, it's power five. It's they play football, we play football, and let's play football better than them. So when Luke comes on, they were four and eight the first year, then eleven and two in two thousand eighteen, and eleven three in two thousand nineteen. And I've heard him mention that the one of the losses was to Ohio State, uh, and it was a rather bad loss. But the point being that motivated that was something that set the program on that loss to Ohio State that then focused and they were nine and one last year, losing to George in the Peach Bowl, and then of course thirteen and zero this year. Yeah, that was a game changer. Um, that loss really kind of put the things in perspective and. Let the him as Luke Fickle, you know, he when he brought this program, when he took it over, he wanted Cincinnati to be at that level, um, to be a uh, rival of his alma mater. You know, he wanted them to get to that level and to showcase um, their skills at that 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 on that stage. And he realized that, hey man, we got still got some time to go until we're quite there. But it showed how much work they got. It showed the players how much work they still had ahead of them, and it, it set them on the course of where they are now. Um, they recruited differently. They, they used their best resources to get to this point. And that really kind of, you know, where things, I think, changed for them. Um, that game was lopsided. And then they had some kind of turbulent moments after that. But they really went on a, on a run here that's been unprecedented for this program. Um, two back-to-back 10-win seasons, a 9-1 and season last year, and, of course, now a 13-0 and season this year. Um, the, the the most successful, not just from where they are in the college football playoff, but just from pure wins and losses, the most successful season in program history, the first 13-win program in, in season in program history. So it was that game that kind of said, okay, that's where we want to be. We're not quite there yet but let's see what we can do to get there. And it really changed things. And in the Peach Bowl game last year, I know Cincinnati was missing some players. Georgia was missing players. It wasn't, you know, again, it was one of the semifinal games. So there wasn't the intensity level that you see in some of the other into the, into the playoff games. But the fact that you were leading Georgia 21 to 10 and uh, in the fourth quarter and just barely lost that game. I think that also gave the team some confidence coming into this year. It has, it did. Um, they should have won that game. They should have won that game. They were up big, and, and I think if it wasn't for some clock management issues there, they probably would have. Um, but it showed that they can go toe-to-toe with one of the prime programs in the country. Um, it gave everyone confidence within the program that, look, we're, what we're doing, we're doing the right things. You know, we're taking the right steps. The players that we have, we have the right team. We have the right guys. They have the right attitude. Um, and it also gave them some momentum heading into this year it allowed them to, to reach heights in the polls and um, show the country and the nation that they're a really good football team. And again, like it, it's, it's not power five, group of five. They're not a good team for a group of five team. They're a good team regardless of, of power five, group of five affiliation. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that was a huge, huge loss. Um, but it, it helped them understand that the steps that they've taken up to this point are the right steps, and I put them in this position. And then this year, I mean, the wins against Miami, Murray State, Indiana, which is a little had a down year, but the, you, everybody knew at Cincinnati that in order to play in the playoff, they had to go undefeated, and then they had to go to Notre Dame and win at Notre Dame. And what a signature victory that was, the 24-13 win against the Fighting Irish. Their only loss, their only loss of the year, so. 
Yeah, that was a big win. Again, I mean, you know, there was a lot that went into that Notre Dame game. Of course, defensive coordinator Marcus Freeman at the time, defensive coordinator, um, former Cincinnati defensive coordinator. There was just a lot of emotions um, surrounding that game. And uh, they walked in the South Bend and, and left there with a victory. And again, it was another one of those confidence boosters and none of those moments that showed, look, man, the steps that we're taking, they're paying off. They're working. They're the right steps. And it was one of those huge building blocks that, you know, have ultimately led to what we're seeing um, with this program. So, I mean, what Luke Fickle has done, it's, it's, it's been tremendous. And it's, it's been, you know, fun watching it and, and, and watching this thing grow. Um, but they're not done yet. And, <laughs> and they didn't come here to just enjoy the moment and just be happy to be here. They're coming here to win a football game. And, and you know, they got a week to do it and figure it out. Um, and they got a tall task ahead of them. Um, but their first practice is on Monday, so we'll see how this thing shakes out. And then just to recap the season a little bit, there was those stretch of games against, uh, after they beat UCF by like 25 or 35 points, the, the Navy game was close to Lane and Tulsa. People saying, well, you know, what's going on with it? And then they then they settled back and started blowing the teams out again like they had done earlier in the year. But there was that little a patch in the middle in the middle of the season where they didn't play their best football. Yeah, I mean, there was a patch, I think, for them, they were learning what it meant to be the number two team in the country, the the number three team in the country, whatever they were at that point, and what that means for an opponent. You know, when you walk into someone else's stadium, it's their bowl game. It's their Super Bowl. It's, you know, this game right here means everything. And I think Cincinnati and Luke Fickle, they had to learn what all of this means. And, and yeah, they should have blown out Navy. They should have blown out Tulane or at least, you know, not struggled as much as they did in that game. Um, they should have blown out Tulsa um, on homecoming. But, again, they, they had to go through these um, these growing pains to kind of become the team that they ultimately are today. Um, they got an old group, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, they got <laughs> a lot of graduate players, a lot of seniors, a lot of um, juniors with starting experience. Um, their best junior, Ahmad South Gardner, is a, is a, is a multiple All-American um, they got a lot of guys who have played a lot of football, and I think that experience has paid off in, in helping them learn um, how to get through those tough games and those those tough challenges. Um, they didn't play their best ball in some of those games, but Luke Fickle has always said, our goal at the end of all of this is to be playing our best football at the end of the season, and that's exactly what they're doing. So is it going to be good enough to beat Bama? We'll see, um, but they are where they hope that they would be at this point, obviously. And their star quarterback is, of course, Desmond Ritter, a four-year four starter. He came as a two, maybe three-star recruit, but his development has been tremendous. And this year, like 30 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 3,200 yards. People talk about him being a first-round draft pick in the NFL draft. So this is great. You've seen Desmond develop over the last four years. Tell us a little about Desmond. Des is as good of a player and as good as of a young man as you could ask for, um, not just as a person, as a quarterback, as a leader of your program and your team. Um, he's just a really good dude and someone that you can rally around and not be afraid to hand the keys to your program. So um, it was his mission to come back and become a better passer, um, become more accurate, become more consistent with his accuracy, um, and I think he's done that. Um, he's put in the work. He's put in the time and the effort to position himself um, into being a possible first-round pick. Um, I mean, he he was a he was a runner when he got here. He was an athlete who was you know six four, two ten, whatever. 
um, a great runner of the football, not quite a great thrower, but he's obviously, you know, d- developed into a, a tremendous dual threat quarterback. Um, but I think the, the the biggest quality with Dez is he wins. He's the winningest active quarterback in college football. And it's it's not a coincidence that this thing turned around with him at the helm. Um, he is a tremendous leader, a tremendous winner. Um, and some team at the next level is going to find that out pretty quickly. But um, his work ethic um, and his ability and his, his desire to want to be great and want to be better and want to improve um, has led to the quarterback that you see today. And, and interesting is your running back, the running back at Cincinnati, Jerome Ford, started at Alabama, was there for two years, and now he's going to be competing on Friday against Alabama. So Jerome Ford, who averaged six yards a carry, and, and it, when people, I think Desmond gets a lot of the press, but you look at uh, you look at Ford in terms of his stats and his numbers, and if you watch their games, he is tremendous. No, no and I think Jerome is, is, a, is an example of, I think people need to understand this isn't just, a group of five team playing over its head. They got legitimate dudes on this team, and Jerome Ford is one of those guys. You know, an Alabama, former Alabama recruit, um, even started some games down there for Nick Saban. And, look, it was just crowded. It was crowded down there. He was behind Najee Harris, and um, he was able to come to Cincinnati to get an opportunity to get on the field, and it's worked out for him. Um, He's a great young man, and he's obviously a tremendous, tremendous talent. Um, and he's he's provided a really crazy one-two punch in the backfield with he and Dez. It, it's it's really tough when they run that run-pass option. You know, you don't really know who to defend because you know you key on Jerome and Dez will explode for a 50, 60, 70 yard gain um, because he's still lethal with his feet. And of course, Jerome is you know one of the strongest runners in college football. Um, and, and can can rattle off a 70, 80 yard run as well. So, and we saw that on the national stage against Georgia last year. But Jerome Ford is an elite runner, um, and, and I'm sure he's he hasn't spoken yet since he's been down here um, in in Dallas. He will, I'm sure, speak on the opportunity to, to face Nick Saban and, and his former players and his former team. Um, but yeah, it's exciting to see Jerome be success, to find success at Cincinnati and, um, you know, hopefully he can continue it against Bama. And on the defensive side, everyone thinks, well, Cincinnati can't stop Alabama, but I look at the American Conference in, the, in their uh, first team and almost the entire team was, I thought it was a, a typo, the entire first team on defense seems like to be the Cincinnati Bearcats. And of course, you mentioned Sauce Gardner, who everyone has going in the NFL first round also. I mean, Cincinnati might have two, possibly three first round NFL uh, draft choices on this team, but especially on the defensive side, Cincinnati is, is tremendous. Yeah, their defense is legit. They have two All-American corners. Um, but I think that the, probably the the best thing about it, like I mentioned earlier, is just the experience. These guys have been playing together now for three-plus seasons. Um, and, and largely, this is the unit, and I, I think he deserves some credit for this. You know, Marcus Freeman built this defense, um, but these guys have put in the work and become stronger, bigger, faster, more developed, and and have developed into what the group you hear you see today. Um, they're a tremendous unit, and they're consistent, um, and they 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 work really hard to be great. And they they they've silenced a lot of offenses, not just this season, but in years past. Um, but yeah, I mean, guys like Ahmad Garner, Kobe Bryant, um, Darian Beavers, who was a Buckus Award finalist. Um, as the, the one of the top linebackers in the country, and then a defensive line that's that's been playing for years and 
edge rusher Myjay Sanders, who could possibly be a first, second round pick. So they got, you know, like I said, they got dudes on both sides of the ball um, who are guys who some of them weren't, you know, the four or five star recruits, but have developed into four or five star talented uh, NFL guys. So um, a lot of talent on both sides of the ball for the Bearcats. Well, Keith, I really appreciate you coming on Iron Sports and giving us some information about the Bearcats. Um, also, one, one final question. Luke Fickle, is this something, I mean, he has turned down. I mean, he did one interview with Notre Dame. There's been other jobs that have come up. Is this something where he might just say, look, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be a Dabo Swinney. I'm gonna, just going to build Cincinnati on a powerhouse now that they're going to the Big 12. Or do, do you see him maybe moving to somewhere else to another program? Well, you know, the Notre Dame job was interesting because I, I think that Luke Fickle has a short list, and I think that list has Notre Dame and Ohio State on it. Um, when the Notre Dame job opened, we were like, uh-oh, this could be the one. And he said, no, you know, I'm, I'm good here. And I, I think what we're looking at is a guy who's an Ohio native, um, who's a very family-oriented guy. Um, his son is on the UC, on, on the Cincinnati football team. Um, and his wife is happy here, and I think that's a big deal. When mom is happy, you know, you know, it's a good thing that she loves Cincinnati. So um, they're not far from home. Cincinnati is only an hour and a half, two-hour drive from Columbus. Um, so he's able to, you know, stay in the Midwest where he's comfortable and where he's been, spent his whole life. Um, so he's really happy with what he has here and what he's built. Um, and, and like you said, the Big 12 is on the horizon. So it's only going to get bigger and bigger as this thing continues to grow. Look, Oklahoma was open. USC was open. LSU was open. Notre Dame was open. And he decided to stay here. And I think that that says uh, a lot about who he is and, and what he's looking for. And so far, at least he's been able to find all of that at Cincinnati. Well, I am so excited about the games, both games, the uh, Georgia-Michigan game and the Alabama-Cincinnati game. So, Keith Jenkins, Cincinnati Bearcat writer. Um, what's your Twitter? For, well, how can we follow you if people want to follow your writing in terms of on, on the Internet? Sure. Uh, Mr. Keith Jenkins, you can find me there on social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And, of course, my website is KeithJenkins.com. And then Cincinnati.com is my employer. Great. Thanks a lot, Keith, and uh, have fun down in Dallas. You got it. Ira, great stuff there with uh, Keith Jenkins. This is a situation, you know, this guy, I, I don't think, you know, a couple of years ago we would have envisioned a Cincinnati being at, at this point. So it's really exciting, you know, exciting time for him, exciting time for this team. I think you're probably going to go to this, right? No, I'll probably, that game I would go to the Alabama, I would go to the Georgia-Michigan game. Really? I, thought you I thought you'd travel for this one. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but I think what's, I think the interesting thing about this game is that Cincinnati has all this experience. They have actually have players that now have developed into four and five stars. And they, the problem for Cincinnati is they're playing probably the worst possible team they could play, is that Alabama yeah. is not going to overlook them. I think maybe a Georgia would overlook them. I think other, I agree. Ohio State would overlook them. But there's no way that Alabama is going to overlook Cincinnati. But Cincinnati is... Loaded with seniors, grads, grad, graduate students. Desmond Ritter is a star quarterback who's been there for four years. I am looking for a great game between Alabama and Cincinnati. I think this game is going to be uh, played at a very high level, and I'm really excited for it. Um, so you're going to take the easy way out and <laughs> stay here in Florida. Go to this one uh, coming up with uh, Georgia and Michigan. Let's bring in Mark Weezer from the uh, Athens Banner Herald. This is Iron Sports 95.9, 106.9. We're honored today to have Mark Weiser, the beat writer for the Athens Bar Banner Herald, on Iron Sports, talking about the exciting game going to be down here in a week, in a few days, at Miami Gardens between Georgia and Michigan. Thanks a lot, Mark, for coming on Iron Sports. Yeah, good to be with you. So. 
a few years ago, Georgia made a decision to get rid of Mark Richt. We know him familiar here for the Miami Hurricanes with a 74% winning percentage. They bring in Kirby Smart, and Kirby seems to have done something that the other assistants from Alabama have been able to do, except beat Saban, but actually really turn this program around and make Georgia a national power. What, what has Kirby done? What has he done to make Georgia take that next step from Richt to Smart? Well, he brought a lot of what he learned at Alabama under Saban for, you know, nine seasons and also was with him for one season with the Dolphins back in 2006, I guess it was, and then went to LS, uh, or actually was with him at LSU before uh, the Dolphins um, as well. So, I mean, he is, you know, right-hand man for, for Nick Saban and the defense there uh, through their four national titles. And he brought, you know, a lot of what he learned there to Athens. And, and probably first and foremost is just kind of a relentless uh, pursuit of the top players on the recruiting trail. And Georgia's just stacked recruiting classes one after the other, um, top three or four for like five or six straight years now. Um, so when you have a re- really good players and uh, you can coach them up, uh, you can do what Georgia did. You know, they got to the playoff in 2017. And they've been, you know, kind of on the outside looking in the last three years, but but they're back this year and just had a dominant regular season. And then going into this year, I kept hearing the name of the quarterback, JT Daniels, JT Daniels, JT Daniels, then is injured the beginning part of the year. And Stetson Bennett is almost like a placeholder. But suddenly Stetson Bennett became more than a placeholder, but actually was, you know, is the quarterback and, and made, you know, made the announcement. Kirby's made the announcement that he's the quarterback for the rest of the year. What did Bennett do to really take this position and not just be a placeholder for it? Yeah, I mean, you know, JT Daniels was the guy after the last four games of last year. He transferred over from Southern Cal, was coming off a, a torn ACL. Uh, you know, the fans were kind of pining for him, you know, during last year when Georgia went through really three quarterbacks because they had uh, a Wake Forest transfer. Jamie Newman opted out because of COVID. Um, then they had started Duan Mathis, who ended up transferring to Temple. Uh, and Stetson Bennett came in in the first game because uh, uh, Mathis was ineffective. And Bennett w- was, you know, better than you might expect for a guy that was a former walk-on, but they uh, they lost games uh, against Florida. They lost against Alabama, where Bennett didn't have good days, got injured in the Alabama game. Um, and so JT Daniels was called on the last four games, and then you know they brought him to SEC media days. He was talked about as a Heisman Trophy candidate, but he dealt with a couple injuries, an oblique injury, a lat injury, um, and, and uh, Bennett took advantage of the situation um, and really raised his game from last year. Brings a different element than, um, than Daniels because he has the ability to to make uh, first downs with his feet um, and really avoid trouble, uh, you know, with the pass rush. So, you know, Georgia's defense was so good. They didn't need to score 40 points a game on offense. Um, The opponents weren't scoring more than 17 points a game before Alabama did. Uh, So, uh, you know, Bennett didn't have a good game in the SEC championship game, but it looks like they're sticking with them and, um, you know, hoping that the formula that worked in the regular season will carry them through these next two games. And also that formula was the running back by committee. We think of Georgia we think of the star running back, uh, you know, ever since from Herschel Walker's days. But the point is you're using, you utilize maybe four or five running backs in the game that could all carry significant carries, including Zamir White, James Cook. But it's this running back that committee has proved very effective this year. 
Yeah, Georgia's you know they've really produced a lot of NFL running backs, but but they've they really haven't had a guy that's they've needed to be like the workhorse guy. I mean, when they went in 2017, it was Nick Chubb and Sony Michelle. Even uh, DeAndre Swift, uh, you know, had Elijah Holyfield uh, when he was here. Um, you know, even going back to the Mark Rick years, they kind of did the same thing. So this year, um, you know, you don't necessarily have like a first round type running back, but Zamir White, James Cook uh, bring some different dimensions. White is more of a downhill runner. James Cook, Dalvin's brother, uh, you know, can can get open in, in space and and be a, a good threat in the passing game. Um, and then they have Kenny McIntosh, who's from South Florida. Um, they have Kendall Milton from California. So they really go four deep at that position. Um, and and really, uh, you know, Georgia likes to rely on the play action game. So um, make some shots downfield as the defense focuses on those running backs. And then the defense to turn to that. I mean, Jordan Davis, the Bednarik Award winner, Nicobe Dean, the Buckus Award winner, Devontae Wyatt. I mean, you have three, maybe four first round draft picks on that defense. And it just seems so dominating. And, and during the whole year, I mean, the scores were, I guess the average was like under holding teams for under seven. Uh, one of the best defenses we've seen in years, considering in this time of offense, 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 to have this dominating defense uh, was pretty amazing. Yeah, the front seven in particular is, is kind of their bread and butter of, of what's made them so uh, smothering. Uh, you know, you're going to see guys at the Senior Bowl, you're going to see underclassmen uh, from this defense go pro. And, um, you know, the, the back end of the defense was kind of, you know, unproven, uh, you know, was benefiting from the great pass rush, you know, different guys coming off the edge, um, you know, making plays. And, and they were kind of exposed a little bit against Alabama. Now, you know, whether Michigan can take advantage of, of the back end that the secondary um, it remains to be seen and um, you know they're going to have a lot to deal with you know you mentioned guys like Jordan Davis he goes 6'6", 350 pounds um, Devontae Wyatt is just a handful as well at tackle then you have Jalen Carter who might be a better pro prospect uh, at nose guard uh, who is a sophomore um, behind Jordan Davis and, and they rotate a lot of guys roll a lot of guys in there and then all three of their inside linebackers are just you know speedy sideline to sideline type guys that that uh, all the guys, uh, NFL talent evaluators on the next level are, are really uh, kind of gushing over. We're talking to Mark Weiser of the beat writer for the Athens Banner Herald about the Georgia Bulldogs. And I just want to talk about one game in particular at the beginning of the year, the Clemson game. I think that was where the statement was made. I mean, I think Clemson regrets even scheduling that game. But uh, I remember the defense was just, I mean, you, everyone expecting Clemson's offense every game scoring 40, 50 points and suddenly totally shut out during the entire game. I think that's what really what set in motion this uh, dominant defense. Yeah, that was a top ten matchup, but you know, Clemson. You didn't know that their offense really was going to take <laughs> such a step back. I mean, now you know Georgia's defense was legit the whole season, but but Clemson's offense really struggled. Um, you know, throughout the year, you know, as they lost Trevor Lawrence. But um, you know, that was a game where, where Georgia, you know, only scored ten points, and, and their one touchdown came on a pick six uh, from safety Christopher Smith. Now that we didn't know at that point that JT Daniels was battling, uh, you know, his uh, oblique injury, and, and that might have had something to do with them not being able to, to really do much in the passing game uh, along with the fact that, that Clemson was kind of dropping into coverage and daring them to um, you know, tr- try to throw the ball against that. 
And then the Alabama game, I was there, and the, it was what an atmosphere down in Atlanta for this game. It was just tremendous, and and I just it was the it was electric. Um, and when Georgia took out that lead, got the early lead, I'm thinking this is the best team. Like there's no way. I mean they're shutting down Alabama. But then it all those um, slant passes to Jamison Williams, whatever, brought. It was amazing how Alabama was able to turn the tide on the the, the term the term of the tide, but it early turned that game around. Yeah, I mean Jamison Williams and and uh, John Mechie, you know, they really took advantage of some busts in the secondary and Georgia you know, kind of deviated from their scheme a little bit, um, what they were doing, what got them there, uh, because they thought the best way, uh, you know, to beat Alabama was not to play as much zone defense. Uh, so, you know, we'll see if they, they make adjustments again now for Michigan and what they have to offer. But, um, you know, Georgia uh, certainly uh, gave up the big plays in the passing game and, uh, you know, couldn't keep up uh, when they needed to in the second half to try to come back from a double-digit deficit. Then uh, it had a pick six, and, and uh, Georgia wasn't you know able to match the firepower um has kirby talked about maybe he got away from the game plan i heard a lot of my friends who were georgia fans were just mad they felt like you know they felt like they almost panicked when they started when they got behind instead of just saying hey look let's just keep winning the game it just seemed like they were panicking and and it, it just got out of sorts well, I mean, they had a hard time, you know, dealing with uh, with Alabama's explosiveness, and and uh, I mean, they fed the ball to tight end Brock Bowers, uh, you know, over and over again. Um, you know, whether Stetson Bennett felt a little bit, uh, you know, happy feet with some of the pass rush, I'm not sure, but but uh, they didn't convert on third down, um, and and they couldn't take advantage when they did have the ball, uh, you know, in in the red zone area. So now Georgia is a seven and a half favorite against Michigan. Uh, people thought Michigan was going to have this letdown over the after the Ohio State game, but they destroyed Iowa. What challenges do you think Michigan brings to the table that might you know that might cause Georgia a lot of problems? Well, they got they got two really good running backs, and they uh, you know you would think with Georgia's front seven, this would be a great matchup for them. Uh, you know they're very good against the run. They have been uh, you know among the nation's best the last three or four years. But you know Michigan's very creative in their play calling. Uh, you know they do a lot of flea flickers. They do jet sweeps. Um, you know they have good tight ends. Um, you know their quarterback doesn't throw too many interceptions. Um, you know and they have a, a good defense as well. Um, you know I think if Georgia can shut down the run. Um, you know, Michigan doesn't have the same type of players on the outside as Alabama does, and so you've got to like Georgia uh, in that aspect. Do you think Georgia, I mean, you've been around the team, you're talking to team, sometimes a team has a loss and it just sets them down, especially when you're so dominant for so long. Do you think that this loss is going to energize them, or are they going to be sort of sulking after a loss like this, after the loss to, to Alabama? No, I think it'll definitely energize them, especially now that they've had you know to be four weeks before the game's played or something like that. So they've had a lot of time to to kind of uh, you know digest the loss and make adjustments and um, you know just know that this is kind of you know they're still exactly where they wanted to be. I mean, this is a team that that thinks national title every season. And now they're two games away and uh, you know avoided Alabama in the first round, and then if they do get Alabama in the championship game, you know John Mechie's out for the season. He's one of their their better players on the outside. So, uh, you know, Georgia might like uh, their chances uh, the second time around against Alabama. Well, Mark, I really appreciate you giving us a preview to the uh, college football semifinal playoff game. And uh, this is Iron Sports. Thanks a lot, Mark, for coming on. Yeah, it was good to be with you. So, Ira, now we've pretty much spoken with someone from every team that, that's, uh, that's left here in the college football playoff. This game is going to be great. I- I'm really excited for this one on Friday.
Yeah, well, we all had the last two weeks. We had Vince Gray, quarterback for the Michigan Wolverines, and John Bacon, someone who's their historian, <laughs> historian on Michigan who covers it. So, if you're looking for more information, I didn't leave Michigan out. I actually had two interviews with Michigan people, but no. Uh, this game is going to be great. And I just feel bad for Michigan in the fact that I think what they do best is run the ball, control the game. That's exactly the type of teams that I think that George has been able to stop. I think the only way to beat George is to go over top, attack their secondary. I don't think Kane McNamara can do that as much as I, I just think, I think Michigan's going to give a hard fight and try hard. But the, the key for this game, and I think we asked uh, ask Mark about this, is, is will 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 Georgia take their lost Alabama and will be deflate them? Is it going to be that they finally had that loss? They're not, you know, they're sulking. But if they take it as a motivation, then they could eat, then they could dominate Michigan in this game. The question is how they respond to the loss. I think it helps that they've had some gap, like if a gap in like three weeks or four weeks. If this was like one week after they had their loss, they might have not been able to, to get themselves off the ground, like be a knockout. Like, you know, at the time that's after a knockout, you know, think about the game, get yourself motivated. So I think that's why I think, look, I'm looking for Georgia and Alabama to play for the national championship. Ira, we've got like a minute left here. You want to talk a little NBA? Usually, you know, Christmas Day NBA is like the highlight of the season, you know, outside of the playoffs. You were not so not so overwhelmed uh, yesterday. Well, I mean, these NBA teams, there's no between COVID not playing and between for COVID players being out for COVID, but also for injuries, for load management. You're seeing these teams with nobody's playing on them. But the one game of the day was Golden State versus uh, Phoenix. In Phoenix, Golden State, the two best teams by far in the NBA playing right now. And Golden State went and won that game. Steph Curry is playing superstar. He's MVP this year. And Otto Porter Jr. came out of nowhere and played a great fourth quarter. And remember, they're getting Wisen back and Klay Thompson back. Phoenix played hard, but it was, it was too much. And then the Lakers being down 25 points to the Nets without Durant, without Kyrie Irving. And then the Lakers came back and actually tied the game. But it was just a terrible performance. The Lakers now have lost five in a row. Um, and there's a whole question. I've said from the beginning when the Lakers team was put together, you can't play with 40-year-olds. It's, it's a senior citizen league. And I, and I love senior <laughs> citizens. But you can't be having them play in basketball. I just don't understand this mix. LeBron is playing great. He played yeah. great. But uh, that's the point. But look, do not, when this is all over, when the season's over, do not say what someone's record is against teams. These teams are in name only. Like the Miami Heat are playing players now that will not be playing with them <laughs> later. There's Most of these teams are playing. There could be starting a lineup that none of those players will even play in a game in April when they play in the playoffs. Ira, so what's your plan for this week? Not sure. I think Georgia-Michigan on Friday, then Penn State-Arkansas on Saturday. And then I'll go to the Steeler game, Brown game, Monday night, which could be Ben's last game in Pittsburgh. And it's going to be so cold in Pittsburgh, but I have, <laughs> you to, be, do it. I have to be at Ben's <laughs> last game on a Monday night game. But that We'll do our show before the game. We'll tape it and do it. But it, probably Georgia-Michigan Friday, Penn State-Arkansas on Saturday in the Outback Bowl. Good thing you rested up this week because uh, week, you're going to be pretty busy uh, going forward. I want to thank so much Rodney Orr, Mark Weezer, and Keith Jenkins. He's Ira. I'm Mike. Let's talk next. Next Monday night, Iron Sports.